Welcome to Sensational, the special educational needs podcast. Our podcast is all about celebrating neurodiversity, strengthening our children's superpowers and empowering parents, carers and professionals with knowledge, advice and support. Though I hope you find today's episode not only useful but enjoyable as well. Hi everyone, it's Camilla here, Events Manager for With Us That Group, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Sensational, the Special Educational Needs Podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss what every parent needs to know about ADHD, and we have the perfect expert joining us today who knows everything there is to know about ADHD, especially from a parent perspective. So I'm pleased to welcome Lisa Rudge, Director of Parent Services at the ADHD Foundation, a fantastic charity based in Liverpool that we've worked with on a number of events over the years. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. To begin with, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your work? Oh, thanks so much for that lovely introduction there, Camilla. That was lovely. <laughs> I'm Lisa, and yeah, I'm the um, I'm the director of parent services at ADHD Foundation. Um, it's a really exciting position to to be in. To be honest, I'm I'm really privileged to have lots of insight into lots of people's lives. You know, I'm really enjoying the fact that I get to to speak with families on a, a day to day basis. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really nice position to be in. So I'm hoping I'll be able to give you some some decent content, some some really good insights um, on this po- this podcast today, Camilla. Oh, I'm sure you're going to give fantastic advice. Um, so let's get started with the basics. Um, can you explain to me and the listeners what ADHD actually is? Okay, so ADHD is a bit of a the name itself is a little bit of a um, you know it gives lots of misconceptions it stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder okay so the name can be quite negative and can be a little bit misleading as well adhd is a complex neurodevelopmental condition and it's characterized by hyperactivity impulsivity and inattention so in the name there, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder sort of suggests that you need to be hyperactive there. And that's not the case at all. You know, like I said, there's three parts to it, that hyperactivity, impulsivity and difference of attention. But you don't have to have all three of them. And you don't even if you do have them, they don't have to be to the same degree. So the DSM-5, which is our like diagnostic manual, if you like, that our clinicians use, that states that ADHD is a persistent pattern of symptoms that interfere with functioning or development, must be present for at least six months, present in two or more settings. So, for example, home and school. And that helps us differentiate between you know ADHD and other um other causes of any challenges we might be seeing but like it said you don't have to have all three of those traits for example some people just have the inattentive part that's called ADHD inattentive type some people just have the hyperactive impulsive part that's ADHD hyperactive impulsive type and some people have it all and the ADHD combined type. So there's lots of, you know, different nuances within that diagnosis. It's common. One in 20 um, children will display traits of ADHD. So so it's not rare. There's, you know, lots of us with ADHD. Mm. 
It's linked to um, differences in our brain. So, you know, there's a neurobiological origin for this. Um, research has suggested that dopamine, one of our neurotransmitters, is implicated there, along with our executive function, which sits at the front of our brain. And um, that's command center of our brain. So there's challenges and differences in the, the transmission of dopamine and in that specific area of the brain at the front. So some people I talk to about ADHD don't really understand it and they believe it's just a behavioral condition. And children with ADHD are just naughty and need to be disciplined. How does that make you feel? And what would you say to anyone who said that to you? Oh gosh, Camilla, that makes me feel a whole range of emotions. It makes me feel quite cross sometimes um, because there's loads of, of misconceptions and that's not helpful for our, our families with ADHD. Makes me feel upset. Makes me feel dismayed that because of those stigmas and misconceptions that people are often going under the radar, going missed, unsupported. So yeah, um, it, it makes me feel all of those things sad, you know. Yeah, I totally understand, yeah. So um, we've touched on the hyperactive side of ADHD, but can you talk us through some of the w- other ways in which ADHD can present in people? Yeah, um, so like I said before, there's, there's three main characteristics with ADHD, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and difference of attention. And like I said before, the name may well be misleading because you don't have to have all three of those types together. Linking back to your previous question when you'd asked about, you know, when people are asking whether it's about behaviour or things like that, if I could just go back to that a second. When we hear the word behaviour in relation to ADHD, what we often mean is dysregulation. It's not intended behaviour. It may well be dysregulation of our attention, of our movement, of our impulsivity, or of all of those executive functionings that sit, like I said, in that that frontal part of our brain that may well be, you know, impacted with ADHD. So our ability to use our working memory, to modulate our emotional responses, things like that. And often that's what we're seeing when people are saying behavior. It's dysregulation. Some dysregulation may be due to anxiety, and it's really common for those with ADHD to have um, challenges around anxiety as well. So, you know, some children are more sensitive to others. Some people will more need more help in learning how to regulate their feelings, how to respond to others. Again, you know, some people might put this down as intended behaviour, but in actual fact, it's our kids having a tough time. I've mentioned before about um, the differences in the brain. So science has, you know, uncovered that there are structural differences. So there's reasons behind this dysregulation. Um, And, you know, what I'm saying is I, I feel upset when people are saying that child is choosing to act in this way. Actually, our children aren't choosing that at all. So, you know, in terms of... Um, you know, you'd said about the hyperactive side of ADHD, but the other ways that it might present. So yes, inattentiveness, or rather difference of attention. 
So there's another, suppose, another bit of, of ADHD that might lead to lots of misconceptions, because often it's not that our children can't pay attention, but they might have dysregulation of focus. So they might even be paying attention to everything all at the same time and not be able to differentiate what they should be paying attention to as opposed to what they shouldn't. So, you know, we see that as well. So let's have a look at, you know, those different traits. So hyperactivity, we might see somebody unable to sit still. Difficulty with quiet activities, you know, because talking and chatting can very much be a hyperactive trait. So we might see fidgeting, we might feel, for those even who don't display um, outward signs of hyperactivity, they may still have a general feeling of unrest, you know, without those big motor movements that we're looking for. When we think of impulsivity, that might be an immediate response to a thought as soon as it pops into our head without considering any consequence to that. Um, so spare of the moment decisions. We often see children interrupting, not taking turns, perhaps ending our sentences for us. You know, we were likely to see all of this type of, you know, um, impulsive um, gestures. Inattentiveness can look like forgetfulness. It can look like not paying attention, low focus, low concentration. It can look like we're being disinterested, disobedient even, can't follow direction. So, you know, there's lots of differences within just those traits alone. Then on top of that, all those executive functions that we spoke about. So we might see difficulty with impulse control difficulty keeping feelings in check, our self-awareness. So, you know, in terms of what we're actually going to see, outward type behaviour, we may well see shutting down due to feeling overwhelmed. Um, we might see people not knowing where to start, you know, procrastination because we don't know where to start, when to start, how to start, you know, lots of things like that. Um, being able to filter what's important as opposed to what's not important. Our children might be getting distracted by other things, expressing an emotion every time it's felt. There's, there's something that we often see with our children and young people. You know, whereas you and I might be able to modulate our emotional responses and keep that in, for some of our children, as soon as that emotion is felt, it's being expressed Again, that, that's often how people come to think at all about behaviour. And another part is being able to do con things consistently. With ADHD, just because you were able to do it yesterday does not necessarily mean you're able to do it today. So that's how we might see it presented in our children and young people. Yeah. So for a parent who was concerned their child has ADHD, are these the main characteristics they should be looking out for? Absolutely. Um, I've got a child and her concentration is like zero, but I know that she doesn't have ADHD because she doesn't have the other characteristics as well. But yeah. do they have to have a certain amount of those characteristics to think that they've got ADHD? Yeah, so, so if a parent is perhaps thinking actually there's something with my child that might suggest they're having challenge at the moment. We had certainly perhaps look in terms of hyperactivity, impulsivity and inattention, but in the ways that we've just talked about how that might present. 
Um, we might see that they have challenges in certain areas, for example. So we might see things like difficulty making friends or even if they can make friends, difficulty keeping friends. We might look at, you know, if our children have difficulty holding on to information, such as instructions that were given them, that might signify that actually it might be worth looking further into this. If our children have difficulty paying attention, if our children's um, movements may seem excessive in comparison to their peers. For example, if our children have difficulty with carpet time or quiet time in school or anywhere they're expected to sit quietly. You know, think of think of when our families go to church or in school assembly or, you know, in the cinema, anywhere you're expected to sit still and quiet. If that's a challenge, well, actually, that might be that little flag to say, well, perhaps there's something worth looking into here. Um, and one more thing that is, is often apparent is when our children are having frequent injuries while playing, that might signify that actually there's lots of impulsive type behaviour where they're not considering the consequence. So I think, you know, with all of those things, if, if parents are, are seeing any type of, of traits in keeping with this, it might be worth having that conversation with school, with the SENCO, with the school nurse team. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, as you're probably aware, there are so many myths surrounding ADHD, which can worry parents, such as it doesn't actually exist, it's overdiagnosed, only boys get it and children have it, and it's down to bad parenting. Can you just clear some of these up and explain to our parents what is and what isn't true? Absolutely. We hear so many bizarre, well, I certainly hear so many bizarre things. Um, oh, if I had a pound yeah. for as many times as I heard, oh, there was no such thing in my day. Yeah. Well, actually, that that's just absolute rubbish. You know, ADHD has always been there. It's a difference in the way our brains process. Um, it's only in recent years that we're beginning to understand it a little bit more. You know, mm -hmm. Mount Everest was only discovered in about 1953. It didn't mean it wasn't there before then. We just weren't aware of it we just it just wasn't on our radar if you like and adhd is the yeah. same so so yes we do have more children diagnosed with adhd now we do talk about adhd more now but like i said it's only because we understand adhd more now so there's there's loads and loads of myths you know camilla you know one myth that comes to the top of my head is that only boys have adhd that's absolutely incorrect <laughs> Boys and girls are affected exactly the same. However, here's the thing, boys are three times more likely to get a diagnosis during childhood than girls are. That may be because boys tend to externalize their traits and girls tend to internalize their traits. It may be due to um, perhaps diagnostic bias where we're only looking for boys and we're missing all our girls. But yeah, that, that's what we tend to see. The pattern we tend to see is that um, our boys are getting diagnosed younger at that ratio of about three to one, but our girls perhaps are getting picked up in their teenage years or even early adulthood when they're presenting with characteristics such as anxiety or depression. Well, in actual fact, it's been ADHD all along. 
So that's one myth. Another myth um, is that it's all about children and that you're going to grow out of it. ADHD is a lifespan condition. We're born with it, we live our days with it, we end our days with it. What might change is how our traits and symptoms affect us. Because as we get older, we develop strategies that can help us. And when we have good strategies, well, the impact of those ADHD traits might be less. So it might be as obvious as evident in adulthood, but those traits don't go away. So for example, our adults with ADHD, they might be able to perhaps harness the hyperactivity, for example, have jobs that play to their strengths, have opportunity to burn off excess energy and go to the gym or walk the dog or whatever. So we're able to strategize more for ourselves as we get older. And that's where that difference is, I suppose. You know, it's still there for us. Myth number three. I've got a little chart here, a little, you know, top <laughs> list of myths. Myth number three. That's all about kids. <laughs> so as we looked at before, it's not about behaviour at all. ADHD is not a behavioural condition. However, we might see outward behavioural responses to dysregulation. So that, that's what we're talking about when, when we hear the word behaviour. So, you know, if we feel dysregulated, we might become stressed, we might become anxious, we might become quite fidgety, we might have difficulty with our concentration. It's all about that dysregulation. It's not about disobedience or intended behaviours. So when, when we see those, those behaviours that might be challenging for us as parents and carers to deal with, yeah, like I said, often anxiety is underpinning that. And our children with ADHD are less likely to be able to regulate those stress responses without a little bit of help from us as parents and carers or perhaps our schools and, and support networks. Another myth here is that ADHD is linked to um, low academic ability. That's not correct at all. ADHD doesn't impact intellect or intelligence at all. What we might see, though, is we might see that, you know, those ADHD traits might provide barriers to learning. So we might find that um, our children may have challenges in the school setting or challenges with learning and retaining information. It's not about intellect, it's just about those barriers. So when strategies are put into place to help our children and young people with that, you know, we see the same academic um, progress as we would expect with their peers. I'm sure you could go on and on about the myths. I really could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <not> <laughs> um, I know you touched on it then about um, ADHD in girls and ADHD in boys. And we've done a few webinars on, on that as well. Um, and they're, they're so interesting. But for anyone who hasn't watched the webinars, can you just do a quick overview of the differences? Okay. First of all, I think it's important for us to realise what our social stereotypes are. Okay, if we think of boys, what sort of like pictures are brought to mind? We think of boys being um, lively, noisy, 
And hyperactivity sits well with that type of stereotype, doesn't it? No, that stereotype can be really inaccurate in, in lots of ways. So, you know, those social stereotypes often make us think of boys initially when we think about ADHD rather than girls. If you think, you know, that that stereotype about boys and if we're only looking at hyperactivity, well, then we're going to miss our boys who have inattention as well. Um, think about our girls. Think about our stereotypes of girls. What do we expect from them? How many times have we heard, oh, she's just a little bossy boots or a chatterbox or she's always away with the furries? Often our social stereotypes expect our girls to have, you know, low focus, be away in a dream world, be chatterboxes. So often when our girls are displaying those ADHD traits, they're put down to other things. So like I said before, girls and boys are, you know, affected equally. However, boys are more likely to get that diagnosis. Girls tend to be overlooked by our medical professionals and our educational professionals um, because their ADHD traits tend to perhaps be more internalised. So more, you know, internal anxieties and worries um, and those externalised behaviours are those ones that, you know, those stereotypical, you know, chatterboxes and things like that. Yeah. So our girls' symptoms tend to seem to be more subtle, you know? So often they're, they're go and miss because of that. So like I said, those girls um, presenting with ADHD may present with um, traits in keeping with daydreamers, traits in keeping with being a chatterbox or being bossy. For some of our girls who prefer the um, the company of younger children, because you know, if, if, for example, our emotional maturation means that we're more comfortable with the younger children, often when we see that, we go, oh, she's a little mother, mother hen, she's looking after all the young ones. So often, you know, our girls are going missed. If you think in terms of a girl's menstrual cycle as well, we may well put ADHD traits down to, oh, it's the, the time of the month. It's because she's starting her menstrual cycle. You know, it's because she's hormonal. So our, our girls often get, you know, missed through, through the cracks, missed in the, the services. Yeah. Our girls, like I said, often um, are picked up when they're older, when they're in their, their teens, perhaps early adulthood and it's often with things more in keeping with mood swings mood disorders anxiety where in actual fact that's what we're seeing you know that that's the outward response but that's unidentified adhd yeah it's it's really interesting like i say we've done webinars on it so if anyone wants to watch any of the webinars, they can go to our resource section on our website. So we hear from so many parents and carers that one of the biggest challenges at home is routine, especially with school, the manic mornings, then the stress of bedtime and making sure they're getting enough sleep. Can you talk us through a few strategies that parents can put in place to make sure their days and nights are a little less stressful? Okay. 
you know that's something we hear all the time you know oh mornings are awful how can i get everybody out to school at the same time um but when we're thinking about strategies that that work for us you know it's important to understand that we're not all the same and you know thinking about the the differences of those traits that we've been talking about there isn't a one size fits all so i think it's important for um for families to understand that although there's lots of strategies that we can have in our toolbox of strategies, you know, there's not necessarily that magic wand, you know, that that will fit all families and all situations. So it's important for us perhaps to look at where our challenges do lie and, and be truthful about that. And we can do that with our children and a good strategy to do to, to work out you know, where those challenges are and what we can do about them. And suppose get our child's buy-in to be able to move forward with potential strategies in the future. So you're doing a simple exercise, like writing a list of things our child finds difficult. And then perhaps looking at, you know, the positive traits that they have. You know, so we've got that two side to the story, those positive traits, you know, I can do this, I'm good at this, I like this, but then, okay, I find this a challenge, we have difficulty with this. So sometimes just weighing up on that list, we get some clues as to actually, oh, well, we could borrow that idea into this situation and develop that. So sometimes to explore together with our child those strategies and how we can overcome those strategies as a family can be really really helpful when we think about the challenges our children and young people have it's important to think of how we can externalize those and for those who've been on my my webinars my training you'll always hear from me externalize what's not happening internally so think of all those executive functions we spoke about before if we're not able to keep things in our work and memory if we're not able to plan in our minds to meet a goal how can we externalize that so good ways of externalizing that is routine structure visuals um, a good routine is really really important and a good routine will help us with those tricky times during the day those pressure points during the day such as getting out ready for school you know if we have a routine that everybody is aware of and everybody knows what steps are within that routine. So we've got that foresight of what's coming next. We can manage transitions um, to make that transition path from home of the morning into school, you know, smoother, <coughs> excuse me. So it's important that when we do set up routines, you know, try new routines, consistency is key. You know, if we, if we start a new routine of a Monday, and then Tuesday, things aren't going right. If we scrap it by Wednesday, we can't then re-pick it up on Friday. We need that consistency. So we need to decide on what we're gonna do and we're, we're going to need to be consistent each day. Something that does come up often, you know, when we're talking about routines and consistency is things like bedtimes. You know, if we're not consistent, our children and young people don't know what to expect. When our children and young people don't know what to expect, that's likely when we see the dysregulation. 
So a good routine, a good structure will help our children to be able to manage their internal functions, their executive functions, and also our expectations and their expectations of us as well. So a good routine will establish boundaries, reduce anxieties, help us with our, our planning, our organising and our work and memory and, and strengthen all of those executive functions that we said before. If we involve our child with the planning of the routine, they're more likely to be more invested and be able to stick with it, you know. So it's not just more, more dad or Lisa saying, this is our routine. If it's a collaborative effort, you know, how can we, how can we put something into place? If it's collaborative, our children and young people are invested, you know, they're emotionally invested, they want it to work. Our children often struggle with unstructured time. So what I hear often is, you know, weekends, evenings, school holidays can be really, really challenging for our children, young people. Again, it's because the routine's gone out the window and they don't know where things are at. So, you know, even in our evenings and weekends and school holidays, even if we're having chill time, it's important to put some routine in because a couple of pivotal points in the day can help anchor us so we know where we're at. You know, so even like I said, weekends and school holidays, our routine might include what time we're taking the dog out for a walk, what time we're having lunch, what time we're going to do any homework. And, you know, those pivotal points can, like I said, help to anchor the rest of the day. Visual representations are really, really good as well, you know, Camilla. Those with ADHD often have a stronger visual work and memory than their verbal work and memory. So their ability to hold those pictures in mind are, is likely to be stronger than that inner narrative, you know, our mind voice. So visuals can help us in lots of different ways. Um, the visuals can be checklists, can be charts, can be post-it notes, can be, you know, colour coordinated, you know, resources. It can be any number of, of different ways but the benefits of having them as visuals means that it gives us time to process language often when we're given instructions to somebody with adhd it can take up to 10 seconds to hear an instruction understand the instruction and then process it in a way in which we know what we're going to do with that information visuals can help with that language processing Visuals can help prepare us for our transitions. So our transitions as our physical transitions, our mental transitions, and even our emotional transitions, you know, to get ready for whatever's coming next. And by doing that, visuals can reduce anxiety. Visuals are non-judgmental, you know, so it's not Lisa telling me I need to do this. Well, actually, it's on our visual, it's on our planner. That's what needs to be done. And often I've had parents saying, well, do you know what, if it's in a planner, if it's on a visual, if it's on a thing, is that not going to take away my child's independence because it's telling them when to do it? Well, in actual fact, no, it's promoting independence and autonomy because our children are able to own that and do whatever task that might be without mum or dad or nan or Camilla or Lisa you know, badger them. So it promotes that, um, that independence. 
it's really common for those with ADHD to be dealing with really big emotions. And like I said before, when we were talking about behaviour being dysregulation, often our children and young people experience emotional dysregulation. So adding in lots of strategies that can help to recognise and identify emotions can be really, really helpful. And we're less likely to see an emotional behavioural result, you know, instead. So empowering our children to verbalise their emotions, name them, you know, coach our children how to go, oh, I'm really frustrated or I'm confused or I'm really angry right now. If we can verbalise our emotions and, and externalise them in that way, we're less likely to have an emotional behavioural response um, due to those emotions. So lots of emotion coaching we could use. We could use words to help. We could use emojis, pictures. Social stories are really good to externalise emotions and think about how we feel and how other people feel, what that might look like. And another strategy that I really want to add is, um, is looking for opportunities for praise. That might sound very simplistic, but if you think of ADHD as being a challenge with dopamine, and dopamine is our reward chemical, when we make more dopamine, we're better able to concentrate and focus and all those things that our children and young people may be having a challenge with. So if we build in opportunities to get more dopamine, our children are more likely to be able to, to self-soothe, self-calm, self-regulate. And praise is a really, really good way of putting that in. So if we're seeing positive behaviours, make a note of commenting about that. You know, we might say, oh, well done. Or we might say, oh, do you know what? That's really good that you're doing that. I like the way you're doing that, you know, I like that you're sat, you know, doing your homework nice and quiet. Think about a time when you felt praised. You know, it makes you feel good, doesn't it, Camilla? You know, you get that boost. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So when our children feel praised, they're more likely to want more of that. So they're going to do mm -hmm. things more in keeping with getting more praise and they're going to feel good about themselves. So that will lessen anxiety. It will increase the dopamine. So increase our child's ability to stop and focus and concentrate and use all of those executive functioning. So praise can be, you know, praise for doing. Well done for doing that. Could be praise for being, you know, I really enjoy talking to you. You know, sitting watching TV with you this evening has been lovely. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. praising. Simple praises, yeah. Absolutely, any opportunity for praise can work really, really well. Oh, fantastic. Some great advice there. Um, so we've spoken a lot about the challenges of ADHD, but let's look at the positive side of ADHD. At Witherslack Group, we think all neurodiverse children have a superpower and we love to celebrate this and see them strive in our schools. I'm sure it's the same for you at the ADHD Foundation. So can we talk about some of the positive traits of ADHD? Okay. 
there's loads there's absolutely loads yeah. and it's it's loads important <laughs> yeah it's important you know as parents and carers often because we're aware of the challenges our children and young people have often that's where our focus is but it's important to remember that ADHD or the challenges that come with it don't define our child it's just an aspect of who they are and the way we talk to our children about their ADHD will very much influence how they see themselves and how they build on that for the rest of their lives so it's important for us to use positive language and accurate explanations you know when we're talking about ADHD it's important for us to be accurate because by doing that we're empowering our children and young people with the skills, the knowledge, the understanding, and then the confidence in how to manage any challenges that they're experiencing and how to play to those strengths and talents that comes along with ADHD as well. So that bit is really, really important. So yes, we can't get away from the fact that there are some challenges, but it's important that we communicate those strengths as well. You know, a lot of our children you aren't aware of those those positives yet and we need perhaps to to help them find where their their positives their superpower actually sits um and th th those that i've spoke to with adhd often say that their positive traits are because of their adhd and not despite it you know there's loads of traits um hyper focus uh, curiosity, lateral thinking, visual memory, the ability to think in pictures, um, see patterns in, in things, um, patterns in complex information perhaps, lots of energy, whether that's physical energy, whether that's mental energy, creativity, quick wit, humour, determination, the ability to see things in different <laughs> There's so many inquisitive, um, you know, mind, fun to be around, kind. There's so many. We can talk till, you know, midnight tonight on, you know. <laughs> so, you know, think back on all the traits that we've spoken about, you know, on, you know, hyperactivity, impulsivity difference of attention it's important that we think of it as a difference rather than just specifically inattention and cast your mind back you know and i know i'm old but i'm going even older than me you know so think back at the start of our evolution when we were living in in settlements living in caves living in hoods whatever that might have been who do you think would have been our hunters our explorers our inventors, the ones who are able to take on those unexpected opportunities, they're likely to be those with ADHD. If you think yes. without all of those positive traits of ADHD, we're unlikely to have had many explorers, many entertainers, many pioneers or inventors or entrepreneurs or athletes or musicians, computer engineers, creatives. How boring, how boring would our world be without those brains that think differently? Yeah. I so, know. You know, I know. 
like I said right at the beginning of this, Camilla, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is a bit of a rubbish name because actually it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't describe everything that's happened because ADHD, despite the name, is not a disorder. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. It's just a difference in the way that we process information. And when we can identify okay. our challenges and support our challenges, do you know what? The, the sky's the limit. So that nicely moves us on to my final question. <laughs> I think it's so important for children to have role models to look up to and believe that they can achieve the same goals yeah. as their heroes. So can you just give us a few examples of some famous people with ADHD who have gone on to achieve big things? Oh, there's another list. That's enormous. Lots yeah, of staff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first of all lots of our staff team at adhd foundation are, are neurodivergent you are amazing <laughs> have adhd um and you know lots of lots of people who are you know successful in every walk of life who i come across every day i know gps i know accountants i know you know business people all with adhd you know that Everywhere we look, there's different brains. If we think of those in the public eye, again, there's a whole host of, of people that we can name. We've got two um, two celebrity ambassadors at ADHD Foundation. We've got Rory Bremner and Alison Moyer. Rory Bremner is um, a, a comedian and, like I said, one of our ambassadors. He has ADHD. Alison Moyer, who, if you're like my age or, or older, you'll be familiar with her. She was a singer. Um, she still is a yeah. singer, musician. Um, Alison Moyer, MBE. So, you know, she's been recognized for her, uh, mm-hmm. her talent. She's our ambassador. She has ADHD. Michael Phelps, who is an Olympic swimmer, he has ADHD and talks openly about his ADHD. But you know what? He is the most decorated Olympian of all time. He's got 28 medals. ADHD hasn't held him back at all. Will I Am, who you might be familiar, he's he's a musician, writer, entrepreneur, TV presenter. He's presenting the voice at the moment. He talks openly about his ADHD. Simone Biles is a gymnast. She's got seven Olympic medals. Emma Watson, who was Hermione Granger in Harry Potter, she has ADHD. Um, Jamie Oliver, who's chef, author, campaigner, he has ADHD. Heston Blumenthal, who's another chef, um, he um, he's a writer, pioneer of multi-sensory cookery. He's an honorary fellow for the Royal Society of Chemistry. He has ADHD. Yeah. Sam Fender, um, singer, songwriter, actor, model, entrepreneur, winner of five Brit Awards, eight Enemy Awards, and he's had a personal invitation by Elton John to perform a duet with him. He has ADHD. Then moving on to entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, or rather Sir Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin. He controls more than 400 companies a billionaire to the tune of round about 8.6 billion dollars he's very oh. open about his ADHD. Um, bill gates is another one you know kind of just add bill gates 
$114 billion he's worth, apparently. And it's because of those traits with ADHD. And with retrospect, Albert Einstein is very likely to have had ADHD based on, yeah. on research and historians. So do you know what? All of our families listening to this with ADHD are all in really good company. Have mini Albert Einstein. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. it's amazing, isn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah, anyone can go on to achieve big things. You know, it it doesn't really matter if you've got ADHD or not. Does it really? You know, absolutely. and it, and it can be an advantage. You know, having ADHD. Absolutely. So. All of those people I've just I've just rattled off there. You know, in um, in the, the reports and the interviews that they've done, they've all stated that their ADHD has been a positive drive to their success. Rather than holding them back, rather than something that they've had to get over, it's been that positive driving force for them. So they're successful because of their ADHD, not despite it. What a great thing to end on. So, yeah, that was fantastic, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today and for everyone that's listened and found it useful and that brings us to the end of today's podcast so well, again I'd like to say a massive thank you to Lisa and for all our listeners for joining us today bye thank for now you. bye if you've enjoyed listening today you might want to check out our other resources we have on the with the slide group website we have a wide range of support materials covering ADHD autism mental health and education health and care plans for more information, please visit with us at group.co.uk forward slash resources. I'll see you on another episode of Sensational in the future. Bye for now.